Welcome to Flow City with the dreamer and doer, Lonnie Gamble, and the ever-curious, Leanne Gluck. Flow Cities explores how we create cities that manufacture, grow, and produce everything they consume, transforming urban life into circular economies that are equitable for all, Earth included. So join us on a global journey as we meet with leading thinkers and doers in the Flow City Revolution. Well, hey there, Lonnie Gamble. Hey, Leanne. How are you? Happy, uh, happy November, end of yeah, November. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. It's been a while since we connected. I know, time has flown. Yeah, yeah, it's the uh, end of the year is coming right up here, and uh, we're on our fifth this is our fifth show. And, uh, you know, at some point we ought to kind of reflect on what we've been learning through this process too. I think that's a great idea. So tell me, <clears throat> tell me what's going on in uh, beautiful downtown Fairfield. Well, I am, I just completed and I'm now done with my, I guess, year long certificate program in regenerative agriculture. So I, uh, I'm all done and complete. Nice. And um, we finished the uh, new farm economics course with John Iger. Which you taught, friend. which you taught, right? I mean, essentially yeah, you were yeah. co-teaching it with John, which is... Co-teaching it with John. And, and now we built out that curriculum for to be a full course for next semester. Great. And um, yeah, just got finished with um, Thanksgiving celebrations um, here in Fairfield. Very beautiful... Got to eat a lot of, uh, you know, one of the great things about Fairfield and this kind of, this community is really this um, trend towards self-sufficiency and, and all these people here who are like building their own houses and growing their own food and foraging their own food and canning their own food. So uh, Thanksgiving was such a feast because it was a lot of like fresh local produce. Um, we had, I had um, chestnut apple pear soup with uh -huh. with um local roasted chestnuts and um, um apples and pears and it was it was really good <laughs> yeah you know chestnuts are interesting um, because you can use them they have a protein profile that's more similar to a grain than a nut so you can use them as a staple crop and i just i just bought a kilo of chestnuts here in uh in guyac today at the market and i had some for lunch and, uh, you know, I think they have a lot of potential because they're a perennial food crop. You plant them once, then there are chestnuts here in France that are 300 years old that are still, you know, producing lots yeah. of food. And some of the regions so what's in France, uh, they, they're, they, um, the, the cuisine is, is part of the cuisine is based around chestnuts. Yeah, what's interesting, too, is that they're really hard to process. So I'm, I'm actually pretty curious what, what kind of, innovations for processing because they kind of come in this like super prickly yeah right yeah. shell that you got to get the prickles off and then you have to roast them and yet so it's, it's they're very process heavy and i was curious you know come, what come, come visit france and i'll take you to the chestnut museum where they explain how they used to do that back in the day because one tree will give you 500 pounds of 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 nut of uh chestnuts and then they're you know they're just you know, I, w I was in one valley that was 10 miles long and you look down that valley and at a certain elevation, every tree was a chestnut that somebody planted like 200 years ago. 
wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that sounds so, you know, so they had to process a lot of chestnuts and it's a, it's an interesting question. And, and, you know, this, this whole thing, you know, you're mentioning the, um, the, uh, you know, the productive capabilities and, and, you know, that people are developing in Fairfield that really fits right in, uh, you know, that, that the, the fab city thing isn't a hundred percent new, you know, people have been, you know, striving for sort of individual self-sufficiency. And I think one of the things that's unique about fab cities is, you know, look at the, what you can gain by doing it on the level of a, of a city rather than a level of a household. Yeah. You know, actually one of the things that really did also strike me over the Thanksgiving holiday was the difference between kind of, I would say maybe the fab country and the fab city, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause right now, I mean, part of it was, you know, we're, we're kind of in the country and we're surrounded by nature and, um, you know, um, that was a lot of the conversation was about nature, was about produce and animals and livestock and the soil and the trees. And I think when you get into a city environment, even the, obviously the, the exterior and what's around you and also what you're talking about shifts. Um, and, and that really struck me too, uh, this 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 past week just thinking about the difference between the country and the city and being self-sufficient in the country versus being self-sufficient in a city environment well that that you know makes me think of um uh, this this week um we're going to do uh, uh, a format the show is going to be a little bit different we're going to have an interview that i recorded with kate armstrong who is a director of the fab city global fab city initiative headquartered in uh, barcelona and I was in Barcelona a few weeks back. And one of the things that she mentioned is that, you know, they're kind of shifting from the, what, you know, in, in addition to the city focus, they're also looking bioregionally these days in, in the Fab City movement. So, you know, how, how can you have a, you know, you know, the city and its kind of surrounding bioregion that are part of that, you know, produce everything that you consume um, paradigm. Uh, so that kind of fits into what you were saying about, you know, you know, what about the countryside and the surrounds of the city? And, um, you know, how can, how can they be generative with each other? Um, I love that. You know, it actually makes me think in another, another time would be great to talk about, uh, you know, the dichotomy of the, the city and the country and how th that's shifting. Um, I, I like this idea of bioregionality and how, bioregionality maybe takes us out of this dichotomous approach where, you know, do you, do, you know, do you know what I mean by that? Like maybe there's something out, not, you know, maybe there's something that's not a city and not the country and not a suburb, but something entirely new that needs a whole new, whole new right, name. Right. And cities, you know, could be quite different if we took the cars out of them and we integrated, you know, integ integrated uh, producing everything they consume, food, energy, water, that's all part of the landscape of the city. The city would look quite different if, you know, it was uh, a city that's uh, productive in terms of food and, and, uh, and you know, uh, raw materials and all that. So, so uh, yeah. How was Barcelona? Oh, Barcelona was amazing. Yeah, I've been, you know, it's getting colder here. It's, um, it may snow uh, tonight, but, um, but I noticed in the, in the shared garden I work in, there are still... Um, blossoms on the um, zucchini <laughs> and uh, you know the, the the crops at the farmers market are shifting now more towards um, you know uh, 
cabbages and mosh, just a winter annual and um, fennel and, you know, these kind of more cold hardy fall season crops and all the winter squashes and all that. And so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to see that. And then also all the, all the um, offerings at the restaurant shift, you know, as the season changes here. So all that's quite connected here. And then, uh, so yeah, Barcelona was just amazing. I uh, stopped a few places on the way down, went to some, you know, it's uh, Barcelona is only about um, four hour drive, which is, you know, maybe five hour drive, maybe the distance to Chicago. So it's not so far in terms of US mileage, but things really change a lot. You go to a whole different country, um, you have to cross the Pyrenees, which, you know, think Rockies, they're really big mountains and they were covered with snow. And uh, I, I went, I, I went, uh, it was still warm when I went there. So I went in the Mediterranean and I'm really excited. I found a place to learn how to do kite surfing and um, uh, uh, wing foiling and all the kind of things that I've wanted to do. I, I bought a mountain board and I got some bamboo and I'm trying to make a um, sail rig for the mountain board, which is kind of skateboard with big wheels. So I'm thinking of all kinds of projects. Uh, and I guess I'm going to have to put an Arduino on it too, <laughs> in some way or another. And um, I, I connected up with the, um, with the makerspace here. It's $80 a year in, in a town called Groyer, which is uh, maybe 15 minutes away. And there's a, a youth center that has a makerspace and they've got a laser cutter, 3D printer, CNC machine. And I've been making a cajon, which is a, a drum. Uh, oh. that you sit on and and uh, I, I put some lettering on it I, I, I put um, uh, the earth has um, music for those who listen uh, in in French I had it translated into French and then I've had to learn how to use this software called LibreCAD uh, to design that stuff and I, I designed a shoe rack and I got my, my own little garden going into this new place that we moved into and um, yeah I just had a really fantastic trip uh uh connected up with my friend fawn and uh you know just just a really uh, and then it's a little bit intimidating to go to the maker the fab uh labs at the institute for advanced architecture in catalonia because they're doing some pretty high level stuff and some pretty advanced stuff i'm going to be there for six months and it's really exciting to be connected up with those kind of world leaders they have a machine uh that can um um, it's like a huge 3D printer, like maybe 25, 30 feet uh, square. And mm -hmm. it can, out, out of the nozzle, instead of plastic, they can shoot out clay. And they oh, can build cool. up they a... Have one of those that Autodesk has one of those. And they can build up a clay house. Uh, so yeah. the idea is they want to be able to bake, use high-tech tools to make buildings out of natural materials. Uh, there's a really a beautiful um, greenhouse that I saw. I think I sent you pictures of that. And so, uh, so I'm really excited to, to dig into that. And um, uh, should, should, have you got anything else, Leanne, or should we go on? Should we, should we go into the interview no, let's, with Kate? Let's go on so, to the interview. Okay, so uh, we'll go to the interview with Kate. And then afterwards, uh, Leanne and I will come back to discuss the interview a little bit. And, you know, maybe we've got uh, maybe some exciting guests that are coming up uh, in the next few weeks. So, um, uh, next up is an interview that I recorded in Barcelona at the uh, world headquarters for the Fab City Movement, which is at the Institute for Advanced Architecture of Catalonia. And uh, uh, she currently leads the design and communication strategy 
with the uh, legends that are at the Fab Lab Barbers Barcelona and the Fab City Foundation, the people who are the founders. They, she uses outreach tools, open source design, and capacity building programming to engage the world in new narratives being developed in the world of Fab Labs and emergent futures. So we'll now go to the interview with Kate. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution sounds okay. so so um, I've got a uh, I'm, I'm very interested in this idea of fab cities cities mm -hmm. that are uh, locally productive but globally connected mm -hmm. cities that have an aspiration to make everything they consume mm -hmm. and um, you know I, I've, I've, um, I've been involved in that on a um, sort of on a personal level mm -hmm. uh, we're living off-grid and you know having a self-sufficient home and then doing a, a, a kind of an eco-village project where, where it was more of a neighborhood scale. But then when Fab Cities came along and you looked at the scale of what you might do, um, there's so much more you can do uh, collectively than you can on an individual basis in mm -hmm. terms of being locally productive. Mm -hmm. And so I want, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about um, the, uh, the Fab City um, initiative mm -hmm. and what the what the goals are and what you know what the what the sure yeah so the the global initiative is comprised by the foundation and the city's network and also a collective of stewards i would call them so the three components together are aimed at the facilitation of this this concept which is cities that produce everything that they consume we have these three components in order to try to tackle the the challenge, which is gigantic. Yeah, it's like rethinking everything that humans yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we want to kind of ch tackle but, this but from that, multiple but levels. But that's kind of the scale of of where we need to think. Exactly. You know, it's it's exactly. it's, it's it's a it's a um, it's a conversation that's on the scale of the problem. Right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and yeah. this is, I mean, what we're talking about is, you know, really transformational change. It's yeah. about how yeah. do you shift that paradigm. Yeah. And we see this as something that needs to happen from top down and bottom up at the same time. And we also see this as something that has to happen across multiple scales. So we kind of, in the foundation side and, and with the collective, who's kind of the stewards or like, let's say, almost like the research arm of the, the um, initiative, We've been working on something which we call uh, the full stack, mm -hmm. which is the Fab City Strategic Action Plan. And this really puts into place in multiple layers across the digital, across the bioregional, across the city level, across education, all these different kinds of layers which need to come together in order for us to do this. Mm -hmm. And the, this full stack has kind of come through the practice of the cities that we've had over the last you know, five, five, six years seeing how they work, seeing how the maker movement is really crucial in its um, cultural efficiency, I would say, in the way that it can kind of really move through communities and bring people not only in terms of tooling, but also in terms of, of culture and, and social um, practice. And how we can use this as kind of the, the nucleus, I guess, the kind of center of this idea, you know, the use of digital tools. Well, this digital tool may not be the home printer. It may be a tooling in terms of education or in how you think about mapping your city resources. So the kind of connection of the digital with the social is really important, and that comes from the maker movement, which sits really at the crux. It's the bottom layer. 
to of the, the fab, stack? Yeah, of yeah. the stack to the fab lab network. It's the distributed infrastructure, but also the distributed cultural um, necessity that you have. And then, you know, leading up from there, you have new ways of educating, new ways of, of thinking about education. Then you have kind of the prototyping. Um, then you have, you know, more the design side. Then we think about how we uh, engage cities and then the digital layer and then on top of that the very largest which is the newest I guess focus of the network which is the bioregionality which is necessary because a city is never just a city a city is connected to its region mm -hmm. and that has become our focus over the last two years and will actually maybe I can say this it's kind of under wraps at the moment mm -hmm. but will be the focus of our next summit okay. which is going to be exciting this will be in Bali this okay. uh, coming year, this coming October, and we will look at, you know, the island as a bioregion and mm -hmm. how, um, you know, you can actually construct a bioregion on that level and then how can we kind of use that as a prototyping space in order to think about a bioregion in other areas of the world. Islands are very interesting in terms yeah. of this, from this yeah. perspective, uh, Fawn's Hawaiian. Okay, and, and, I'm uh, Australian, so yeah. I'm <laughs> up a different, yeah. I mean, similar. Yeah, and, you know, they, they have this um, uh, interesting, uh, you know, the... the Polynesians who colonized the South Pacific, they had this way of taking like 30 plants in a uh -huh. canoe and, and they could build a, a, a vehicle that could go thousands of miles and then they could create their whole culture. It's, it's In a way, it's kind of an ancient model yeah. for, yeah. I mean, I'm, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the island is a really interesting concept because I guess what we're looking at even in the city or the bioregion is, is a prototyping space. It's a space in which you only have a certain amount of um, of resources, and then you also only have a certain amount of inputs and, and, and outputs. You know, so that's really interesting because that's what an island yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And I think we saw this during the pandemic. Like Australia, yeah. completely had to really almost, you know, really start to change and really think internally about mm. how, where they're getting goods and where they're getting, um, you know, yeah. basically consumables. And so I think that, you know, the, the idea or the concept of an island is one that we also should and can apply to bioregions that are maybe not isolated. So, you know, you, you have Barcelona bioregion, there, there is a certain capacity and a certain specificity to this region that we should be able to, um, yeah, look at and celebrate and also engage in the way that we're kind of producing our, mm -hmm. our goods and consuming as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... Um, so, so some of the you know some of the critiques I've heard of the um, of the Fab City idea is is you know do you do you really mean produce everything that a that a city consumes you know um, manufactured goods energy food water mm. building materials or what's the what's the relationship and, and then and then have those atoms cycle because they're they're mm. heavy but is that or, or is there um, is there what's the relationship of uh, exchange with other like-minded bioregions or yeah i think um the idea of producing everything that you consume locally is first and foremost a call to action because this is something that triggers triggers a logic you know people when you when you actually think about this you realize oh wow yeah atoms are heavy i don't <laughs> need to move them from place to place and first and foremost this is why we have to have this call to action on top of that, though, of course, you also have the idea, well, you know, actually we can't get everything that we need here or maybe we don't have, you know, enough of a certain supply of material or whatever mm -hmm. or what have you. So I think that what, what that triggers also is a set of alternate responses and other responses that are necessary. The idea is we need to shift the paradigm. So mm -hmm. how do we do that? We start doing that 
by thinking about certain pockets of, of that manufacturing and, consum and consumption ecosystem, and then you can really start to understand, okay, well, maybe we need to make a relationship with another bioregion or city, or we need to look at a new material response to that mm -hmm. specific um, problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the biggest things for us is that there is so much potential in one place, and then the biggest thing that we're actually missing is the educational capacity to share that information. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing we're missing is the understanding that there is not a monopoly anywhere on any material and that the potential of material or potential of a, of a method or a service is infinite and we need to understand how we can open those processes through design to be able to share them and to be able to, to yeah, to, I guess, innovate, to be able to find what's next and what's necessary. So, so design is sort of a primary element of, yeah. Of, yeah. of the Fab City idea. Because design is kind of the first signal of human intention, William McDonald. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> design, I think, is something that we also have been rethinking over the last four years and really understanding its, um, its yeah, it, it, how crucial it is to our, our movement. I'm a trained designer and I was never trained to think about design as this systems approach or this approach to how we do what we do. And that's really, I think, what the most exciting part of this word design is, is that in the last few years, it's really becoming seen as something that is beyond a specific um, field or something that's about just aesthetics. It's really about like how do things work? It's almost yeah. like the brother of engineering, you know? Yeah, like yeah. this is how do you actually create things and I think that the biggest and the most exciting thing about design at the moment is this idea of you know post-human design one that is about the the systems it is about where you live how you embed how you mm. respond these mm. kinds of things and that of course is kind of crucial to everything that could we're you doing. could you unpack post-human design a little bit go ahead yeah I mean the industrial paradigm was kind of built with man on top and you know man commanding how or you know human commanding how systems should be designed in in favor of our needs and this is this is not working <laughs> this is not how um the planet works you know it's a much more complex and much more integrated system in which we also need to be subservient to some aspects of that system and post-human design or you know a, a multi-species approach or however you want to say it really allows us to understand that design is a complex system made up of complex um, complex inputs, including um, everything from not just non-human in terms of animal, but also non-human in terms of, you know, the systems that exist already, mycelia, all these kinds of things mm -hmm. that exist around us. And while we are inquiring into how humans should um, survive, we are not letting ourselves in make design inquiry into the other systems which can, in, in fact, probably support us it's in many ways. So it's really a change in relationship yeah. between uh, the humans and humans and the broader yeah. part of the... Yeah, it's about taking ourselves out of the center, and mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that what we're doing is um, not for our benefit, but it's about benefiting a wider, um, yeah. Um, the, uh, um, yeah, you mentioned, you know, design, and it, 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 it's this, if you get the design, if you get the, um, most of the problems we have are made in the first few hours of the design of something, and uh -huh. if we get the design right, then a lot of positive things can flow out. If we get the design wrong, a lot of negative things can flow out, and I think about the, 
design, for example, of a city that's based around cars. Mm -hmm. You know, and is there anything in, in the Fab City movement uh, that, that talks about kind of the physical infrastructure of the mm -hmm. city, which is so important in terms of the well-being of people in the city and enabling a city that's, that is, um, I, I can think of some design decisions you could make early on in, in creating a city, which would make it very difficult for the city to produce everything it consumes. Mm -hmm. Other design decisions that could make it very easy. Yeah. Could you? Yeah, I think that, um, again, there's kind of like multiple scales that need to be understood as part of a city. And here in Fabio Barcelona, for example, we work on the neighborhood level really strongly. This is like one of our focuses is to understand the the ability for a neighbourhood to be an interconnected system, a social and cultural system, but then also a productive system mm -hmm. through that connectivity that you have at that local level. It's really hard to kind of replicate that at a larger scale or scale that up. So I think one thing that we're looking at is you kind of need these different pockets and these different layers. We can't mm -hmm. expect one city to be one giant system it needs to be a system of systems mm -hmm. and it needs to be a you know it needs to supply logistically that ha have that you know logistically allowed for in the design of the city of course now we kind of have um in many cities and i'll talk about barcelona because you know it's here and that's where we are but you have kind of these these neighborhoods slightly in some ways disconnected because you have kind of maybe different house prices, land prices, different accessibility, different ways of, of living in these in these pockets. So I think that cities, apart from, of course, you know, better cycle lanes, better mobility, all these kinds of things which we, we kind of are aware of now with the, the turn of um, urban development at the moment, I think we also need to allow for you know, understanding the city as an ecosystem and how you actually connect the pockets within the city and also then, of course, outside the city. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that we're missing in our cities is real bottom-up digital and also cultural infrastructure hmm. because we have lived so long with this idea, you know, of property prices over anything and, you know, the built environment being the environment and we're moving into a space where, you know, our digital spaces are just as important. So how can we kind of, you know, harness and integrate those digital spaces without it becoming, you know, the smart city model, which is all about how do I make my life yeah. more easy or, yeah. you know, convenient through yeah. digital con connectivity when that's not necessarily the, the best or in my view, the, the benefit of that digital connectivity. Is there anything in the Fab City movement about sufficiency? In other mm -hmm. words, you know, so, so there's the idea we produce everything that we consume, but then there's the consumption side, you know, like, yeah. like uh, you know, in, in some ways, you know, we overconsume mm -hmm. in terms of the well-being we might have. Um, and, we ha and as a result, maybe we work more and we have uh, less social relations. So is there anything in the Fab City movement about sort of this idea of working less and, and, and consuming less? And, or is um, that... Yeah, I think it's kind of there by, by default in a mm. way. I think something that probably speaks to this is the idea of the commons. And yeah. the commons, you know, it's, some, it's, it's a concept in which we live within our means because we're able to supply for those means collectively, you know? So I think... The idea of commoning resources or having, for example, you know, um, shared spaces or shared, for example, um, 
urban agriculture, these kinds of things, where multiple stakeholders are actually involved in the development and then also the consumption of what is what mm -hmm. is created. I think that, that that idea of common resources, even in our air, even in the, the purity or, or clarity of the, the air that we breathe or the water that we have in our cities, it speaks to something that is more about the ownership of those resources. Mm -hmm. And when you have that ownership, so it's not just my pocket against your pocket, but we have to actually collectively as a community yeah. understand these as part of our systems and as part of our, our livelihoods and wellness. I think that that brings that idea of collective consumption and collective action, which is, you know, you're going to do something which is also, you know, suitable for everybody else in your community. I think that that's one thing and that came out of our summit last year was this idea of, well, how do you create these commons in a way that is also attractive to people? And it also allows people to live in a way that they mm. would like to live. But of course, we all live beyond our means. And so it's a, it, there's, a, there's a bit of a, a post-capitalist economics thing. Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, well. <clears throat> many people kind of talk about us being this, you know, an Antarctic syndicator, <laughs> you know, these kind of kinds of things. And it is, in a way, this kind of idea of creating yeah. a new model. But I think that what we are interested in is not saying, this is the new model. It's yeah. about saying, what's the process to... Yeah to understand how our cities work, to understand how a network can work, and then understand bottom-up, top-down, what could be possible. Mm -hmm. It's all about prototyping, it's all about experimentation, and that, as I was saying, comes from that maker yeah. idea, you know, that 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 yeah. nodule of how we do things as makers, yeah. we just, you know, um, try, experiment, prototype, and that is the way that we really think about this. And, and that's not for everyone, you know? Yeah. A lot of people kind of think, well, where are the rules? And yeah, there, there are kind of parameters, but if I give, if, if we say as a cities network, for example, because we also have 41 cities, you know, who are in this with us, if we say to Paris, do it like this, and then we turn around and say to Hamburg, do, do it like this, and then we turn around and say to Seoul, do it like this, it's not gonna work. We have 41 cities that come from really different places in the world, we have interest of cities from you know another 41 cities in the world and we need to do this collectively we need to be able to horizontally organize those parameters of course as we move over the years we we do input some small changes right now we're working for example on the digital infrastructure side of things with the the team in fab city hamburg that's doing really amazing um but yeah, we need to be able to do this in a way that is, that is, um, yeah, it makes sense, logical, which is every city is different, every person is different. So, so to switch, I, mean, I really appreciate your time, we've had yeah. spent quite a lot of time now, but I, I want to switch uh, as we come towards the end of the interview uh, to talk a little bit about the circular economy mm -hmm. element of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, Neil Gershenfeld has this concept of circular economy that is um, quite a lot more expensive, expansive than what most people think mm -hmm. about in terms of, um, you know, um, uh, using something from nature like a cherry tree doesn't recycle itself into a cherry tree. It breaks itself down into 30 or 40 basic elements of biology that all other elements mm -hmm. of biology can use to create themselves. And so can, can we truly create a circular economy um, without having uh, a material economy that's more like what nature has, mm. you, know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and how does that fit in? Yeah. Uh, how does that is 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 that Neil Gershenfeld concept of a circular economy where we're really we're really changing? You know, the whole the whole industrial economy has like maybe 20 or 30 basic elements, yeah. and everything's made of those. 
Am, am I making sense? Yeah, 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 yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is definitely within our, um, our perspective. I wouldn't say we're necessarily working di directly on this, but people in our network are. Um, I think the, the, there's two things. One is this idea of regenerative economy, this idea of, you know, um, understanding materials as, and, and, you know, atoms as atoms is something that is super logical and super sensible. You know, it's something that is like, oh yeah, of course, this is how it works, this is how nature works. I don't know necessarily that we are at a position now with the abundance of materials that we have that it's that it's potent, like you know actually possible for us to do this. But the mindset is certainly the one that we need because circular economy and the idea of recycling, these kinds of ideas, are quite insular. You know, it really doesn't allow us to understand the, the potential of the materials that we have. So for sure, in Fab City, we're really looking at this regenerative economy. This is about, you know, how can something do better when you design it than it did when it was first kind of created? And also, of course, this is where we talk about design. Design is everything that we're doing. It's really, really important to these systems. The other thing about this is that I think we also need to, I guess, know or be able to assess what materials and what material um, capacity we have in our cities. So if, um, if we have, for example, an abundance of a certain material or an abundance of a certain, um, yeah, a certain polymer or whatever it is, we should know that and we should be able to in some way map that. And I think that that's where the digital infrastructure and ecosystem needs to come in for us to actually understand, well, what materials are circulating? What are we using? And then how can we design around that? So cir circular economies in different cities could be quite different depending mm -hmm. on what their indigenous resources yeah. are, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly it. You know, yeah. we need to understand this concept, which is another, a project that I work on, which is called distributed design, which is about opening the design process, creating, simplifying the design process enough so that those, that local knowledge, local culture, local input, local materials can be accounted for in the design process. So right now what we have is this very rigid system of a X needs to look like X, you know, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And we need to be able to open that and designers should, I, I believe, be trained to instead say, this material has this property and therefore can do these things. Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking in a product mindset, mm -hmm. we need to think in a supply mindset. What is it? What is needed? What mm -hmm. is really um, required in that space? And how can we use what we have in terms of knowledge of materials, knowledge of capacity, these kinds of resource understanding as a designer, um, how you can create a response for that environment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Kate. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else you want to say in closing about the Fab City Initiative or... Uh um, revolution, we might say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope it's. I hope in a way it's a revolution. I think you know, I've been working now. I think four years with the global initiative, and it's changed so much. And in being able to set up the foundation, which we did um, last year, end of the year before, it's really given us an opportunity to to start really, you know, a little bit walking. You know, mm -hmm. we've been crawling for a while trying to understand how it can work. The concept is there, but. Having the ability to, um, yeah, to bring people on board. We now have a team. We now have, you know, we're actually moving into more an educational space as well to be able to, you know, really spread the idea of what we're doing. So I think I think that 
yeah, watch this space. I really think that it's going to be fun and come to Bali because it's going to be amazing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thanks again, Kate. Thanks for all the great work you guys are doing with the Fab City Initiative. Thank you. session with Kate? I thought it was great. Um, you know, I, uh, the kind of the, the two, the, the two terms that she kind of introduced, I thought were really interesting was bioregionalization, which, um, we mentioned kind of earlier on, but also this idea of post human design, um, and designing for, a, you know, not just looking at human centered design, but, but that full, you know, design with the full ecosystem in mind. I thought that was really interesting uh, way to way to think about things. Mm -hmm. And what 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 struck you about the post-human design discussion? Um, you know, I I started to think about um, generative design, um, and you know, generative design is is a kind of a tool. Um, Autodesk is very well known for generative design. There's, there's now a couple of other uh, software companies that are working on this, but essentially it's, it's where you kind of take an AI algorithm and you, you set parameters. Um, you, you set the kind of boundaries and the parameters of, of what you want, you know, the weight of something, the width of something, um, what it can hold, maybe what material it's, it's made out of. But then you let the algorithm generate the design for you um and um you know this has been used on you know different things like for example car chassis or brackets um and even now in construction and and, and more advanced products but the idea is is that the 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 algorithm the software can generate thousands and thousands of different kinds of designs and the way that they do it looks radically different than anything you've ever seen because it's the software that's generating the design as opposed to a human. And usually humans have this idea of what they want to create already in mind. Um, and kind of the, you know, function follows form in some way. Um, but with generative design, form will follow function. Um, and so you get these really interesting things. So it actually made me think about, well, what if we could generatively design cities where we input more, you know, we, we input parameters that are things like, okay, this is how much carbon we want to sequester, or this is, um, these are all the, you know, this is how we want it to be circular uh, loop. Uh, these are kind of all the materials that we want to reuse, or this is how much solar we want to collect, or, you know, this is how much, how we, how we want to impact the soil, or this is how much food we want to generate, or, you know, kind of, and put, put in, put in these, put in these bigger inputs and then see how we could design cities in that way. And my, my guess, my suspicion is that we, if we did that, 
we would start to see city design that were radically different than any kind of city design we've previously before, before imagined. And that to me was really interesting. And it made me think about our call with Richard Register, um, where he was kind of talking about, you know, um, I think, was it Richard Register or was, was it Phil Hawes who was talking about the rooftop gardens and the connected bridges between the rooftops? Well, that was Richard. Richard, yeah. It made me think of that because Richard really started to begin to open my eyes to kind of new ways of, of envisioning the designs of cities um, and this post-human um, design concept also made me really rethink the way that we visually are designing cities with, you know, broader parameters that include um, regeneration. And, and yeah, and the rest of the living world, um, you yeah. know, so that, so that humans are a part of it, but it isn't, um, uh, it, it isn't to the exclusion of, it's, it's, it's a, a celebratory, uh, participatory, um, um, communion with all the rest of the living uh, creatures on the earth in terms of design. Design's a very interesting concept. You know, there's a <clears throat> William McDonough, um, you know, he, uh, he wrote a book, Cradle to Cradle. And in that mm -hmm. he argues that, um, you know, design is the first signal of human intention. And that, um, you know, most often um, the, the first few hours that you design something, all the critical mistakes are made then. And then after that, it's very difficult to, um, to recover because people get committed to designs, you know, get co cognitively committed to design. And uh, Kate, Kate's a designer. Um, and they, the, the, there's things you can do, for example, in the design of a city, and we talked about this in the interview, that make, it would make it very difficult to be a fab city. And there's other things you can do in the design of a city if you get the design right up front that make, you know, uh, being a fab city much more, um, you know, you know a, 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 a consequence that would follow from that initial design. And so, um, for example, you know, if, if, if you design around cars, then it becomes very difficult for people not to have a car, <laughs> you know, right. and you, you've, you're locked into that for, you know, um, you know, the, you know, could be, could be a hundred years, you know, the life of the infrastructure of the city. So the design, thing is just a really, really critical element, it's kind of that, that first spark of intelligence, that first spark of creativity, that first spark of intention. You know, what are you intending to do? Are you intending to have a, 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 a you know, a planet that, uh, that is uninhabitable? <laughs> you know, that seems to be the, the end result of most of the design that we've done, you know, in the last hundred years or so. Um, so, it, yeah, that's a really important point. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting also that she, um, when we talked about the circular economy, that, you know, this, this where this idea of bioregionalism came up, that, you know, and, and one of the things, you know, that, that comes up as a critique of the Fab City idea sometimes is, you know, are you really going to make everything you consume within that city, automobiles and cell phones and everything? And, and one of the things she mentioned is that, you know, different places will have different um, uh, resources. And you'll learn to use the resources you have in that area. One area might have a lot of clay, for example, and maybe that becomes a dominant building material. One, one area might have, you know, abundance of wood. And so all of a sudden, you know, that becomes a key part of the design. And that's something I hadn't really thought about before. And that, you know, leads into this, you know, bioregional uh, idea is that, you know, you, you, you look at the city and its surrounding areas and, and how, and then, and then there, you know, there's some exchange and trade. 
and I think all those ideas are kind of still being worked out. But the, but the, um, I think the, the reason why they've chosen that is because it really makes you think, um, you know, this idea that we have to produce everything that we consume. Uh, so I thought that was interesting uh, thought that she had. Yeah, you know, it makes me, makes me think of two things. One is, you know, you just shared earlier on about, you know, being in France and Spain and how the weather's changing. And so now there's, you know, you know, the, 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 what, what is being grown in the farms are changing and then therefore what is being served in the restaurants are changing and that it's very localized like that. Um, and, you know, we're so used to, especially here in the United States, like we we're having access to everything. So yeah. there is a little bit of a culture shift of a philosophy shift, like a personal shift in that, you know, if you are to make everything that you consume, you may not have access to everything all of the time. So it's like, you know, we went from localization to globalization and now back to localization. So it's a, I think it's a little bit of a different way of thinking about like, well, what is it that we consume? Um, and then the other thing it made me think of was like, I, and I don't know, like what happens a hundred years ago? Where did we locate the factories and where did we locate the farms? And I know kind of the answer to where we locate, located the farms. I'm not so certain did we locate factories in the cities? Like where were the Well, you know, you know, um, back in the day, uh, you know, this is something I, I learned from Phil Hawes, uh, one of our previous guests. You know, back in the day, um, you know, factories were very dirty and they created a lot of pollution. And so there was a movement for hygiene, you know, and for people's health is to get the factories away from people. So then they separated where people live from where they work, you know, and then they had all kinds of rules and regulations that you couldn't put factories where people live. Well, factories are different now, you know, and, um, and we can, and, and the scale is different. And so we could, um, you know, integrate, reintegrate living spaces and working spaces and, you know, uh, recreation and all those kinds of things. Um, and so, so I think there was a reason at one point to, to have them, be really separate and, and the scale in which um, um, uh, you had to work on back then uh, was was larger than what we might be able to do what we know how to do now so yeah yeah, yeah so it made me think of this idea of factories of the future and I haven't I haven't thought about that idea in God, almost a decade but it was it was something that we were working on at the Clinton Foundation back in 2013 2014 when we were looking at reshoring manufacturing and you know, in the U.S. and and looking at this concept of like the factory of the future that um, is, you know, um, kind of a smart factory ecosystem, and that has smart and sustainable and safe models, but that also integrates things like geothermal and solar and wind, and is built around eco communities and has a farm integrated into the factory. Kind of these these more hybrid models. And yeah, yeah. It, it made me think like, okay, the, those factories of the future are the ones that we would kind of need in a fab city that would have to be, you know, clean and friendly right. both to the environment and to the human in order for us to be able to, to make the things that we want to make within a city. Perhaps, yeah, you, I, you, I don't know. You know, that's what, you know, one of these, I mentioned William McDonough earlier in his book, Cradle to Cradle. One of the things he mentions is that, you know, that, you know, we keep thinking about having small footprints, 
But if you're working with regenerative design and your the byproducts of your industrial process are cleaner water, cleaner air, wetlands, wildlands, and beauty, then you know maybe this maybe it's it's good to have more of that. <laughs> you know, so right. it's you know there's still biogeophysical limits to the planet and how much of the incoming solar energy and processes, natural processes of the earth that people can um, um, appropriate <clears throat> in, in without leaving enough for the rest of the, the, the life on earth. But, um, but you know, that's, that's like you say, there's a different way of thinking about, you know, I, I know that one, one of the factories that William McDonough worked on in, uh, in Switzerland, it was a textile factory and they were always in trouble for putting out um, too much, uh, um, you know, pollution in the dyes that they were using. They re-engineered the chemistry of their dyes. They re-engineered the factory. And now the, the water that comes out of the factory is cleaner than the water that goes in. The factory is like a filter. <laughs> and uh, um, so, so, you know, th those, those are the kind of, you know, there's, there's, there's no end to the creativity and intelligence that we need to create a world like that in terms of yeah. full employment for uh, many generations in order to re- think the um, a, a generative uh, human presence on the earth. Yeah. So, um, so uh, I wanted to, I wanted to mention, um, I, I got a note from uh, um, uh, um, the founder of the uh, transition towns movement, Rob Hopkins, and he's going to be a guest on our show coming up. So I'm really excited about that because uh, I think there's a there's a lot of uh, synergy between the transition towns movement and the Fab City movement, and I, I don't think they've been very connected in the past. So I'm excited to talk to Rob and and see uh, what his thoughts are. Absolutely, yeah, that sounds that sounds fantastic. Um, I also uh, connected with. Um, uh, a friend of mine who, who lives in a community called Saxapaha. Um, and it's kind of a, a little bit of a um, small, kind of a small footprint. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a fab city, but this kind of small footprint where um, he, he has a sustainable apparel line, does everything from dirt to shirt. Um, mm. They're also doing hemp now. He built his he built, he was kind of responsible for, for, for spearheading the, the food co-op there. They built a brewery. Um, and in this little town, they have, you know, um, you know, they have the, the local butcher, they have the local person who raises the pigs, they have the local chicken person, they have the local cheesemaker. So, um, this is in North Carolina? In North Carolina, yeah. Oh, that sounds like a great, great uh, uh, guest. Yeah. So, um would like to would like to bring him on and talk to him a little bit about what they what they did over there in in North Carolina. Well, Leanne, uh, I think we're pretty much at the end of our show. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, add before we sign off? No, this is great. Really, um, I'm actually really enjoying the evolution of, of of these conversations, and it's you know we're five in and definitely has been shifting my way I'm thinking about all, all this and, and, and uh, how we're, we're shaping the future moving forward. So this is, this is great. Great interview. Um, good, good ideas. Definitely. Well, I, I think they're percolating in my brain. Yeah. Hey, I wonder, I wonder, um, 
when the next time is that we're going to be in the same physical place. We may just have to, we may just have to meet over the internet for a, uh, a while. <laughs> you know? We may, or I may just have to fly to Europe. Lonnie. Yeah. You may have to come to Barcelona. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, take care, right. Leanne. And congratulations on, uh, on, on your uh, graduation from your program. I'm, Excited. Let's 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 talk next time about what some of your ideas are uh, going forward. I know you have this this idea of uh, you have this uh, uh, conference coming up, the Farm of the Future, and you have this idea of uh, working with um, uh, technology for regenerative, you know, appropriate scale and size technology for re regenerative farms. So just, let's yep. let's talk about that uh, next time too. Sounds good. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. On a revolution, well, you know, we all want to change the world. You tell me that it's evolution, well, you know, we all want to change the world. But when you talk about destruction, that you can count me out Don't you know it's gonna be Alright 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 You say you got a real solution Well, you know We'd all love you asked me for a contribution Well, you know We all do what we can But if you want money for people with minds that hate All I can tell you is, brother, you have to wait Oh!